Hi there, I'm Shane Fox, founder and designer of Shane Fox Hardware and production designer of What We Do in the Shadows. And you're watching A Student's Perspective. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to A Student's Perspective, the weekly series that connects students with designers, manufacturers, educators, industry professionals, and design media celebrities to hear their stories on just how they've gotten to where they are now. Through our conversations, we connect the past, present, and future of design to show just how much we can learn from each other to grow towards our fullest potential without prescribed limitations. Think of a student's perspective as a weekly design lecture series from the student's point of view. A Student's Perspective is a division of the nonprofit University Hall of Innovation, whose goals are to connect students with the design industry through design challenges and mentorship and a collaboration with the Marywood University Interior Architecture Program in Scranton, Pennsylvania. All interviews can be found in their video format at www.astudentsperspective.tv. For more information or sponsorship inquiries, please contact University Hall of Innovation at gmail.com. I'm Courtney, and this is another episode of The Student's Perspective. Today I'm with Shane Fox, and if you like our conversation today, feel free to like, share, and post any comments or questions in the, in the comment section below. So, hi Shane, thank you so much for meeting with us today. Um, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, can you just give us a little peek into your background a little bit? For sure. Um... Well, I've been making and creating things and part of the um, creative processes pretty much my whole life. Um, I've always been attracted to working with materials and pushing things. And since I was a little kid, my mom always told me that that was, you know, when I when when they asked me when I was little what I wanted to be when I grew up, my answer was I just want to make things. And that's kind of come true. Um, in terms of art studies, I went to... Um, I studied fine art at the University of British Columbia. I then went to do um, practical sort of hands-on uh, art in a college, in a small college in the interior of British Columbia, which is like way out west in Canada. Um, and then from there, I started working in TV. When I was a teenager, I would go to school during the year and then the summers I picked up work in film and I started working in puppet shops building puppets for kids TV shows like with the Henson people doing the Henson style foam and fleece puppets um, so TV kind of took over my life um, and I'm still working in television and um, I guess when you do contract work like I was doing for so many years um, often the contract ends and then paychecks stop and you're kind of left wondering, like, you know, what I'm not building anything. That's what my fear was. I'm not building anything that was my own. I was always just waiting for the next contract and the next gig. So that's when I started Chain Fox Hardware. Was like, okay, I can do this on the side. I can design and manufacture products that I think are cool, that I want to see out in the marketplace, that I think are not available. And um, and it's my company, and it will grow on its own. And that's exactly what has happened. So now this little side hustle is kind of taken over and it's more of like a front and center hustle and now I'm trying to toggle my film career and my hardware career at the same time. So that's the short story. <laughs> <laughs> that's so exciting though. I'm so happy to hear that, you know, you 
essentially turned you know something that you were kind of viewing as like a hobby i guess maybe yeah. um in the beginning at least and then kind of just really pursued that as a career and then you know even when you found a different avenue to go through you didn't you didn't give that up and you you still interpreted that into your your career whether it was film with hardware um associated with it or vice versa so you know i th i just think that's so interesting um especially to see how you know, different areas of the field can can definitely work together. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm more, I'm really interested to know what your design process looks like um, within the film and set industry oh. uh, specifically, because I'm doing um, a collaborative process here at Marywood, and it's between the interior architecture department and the theater department. Mm -hmm. um, so, so working with them to build their set and, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, how your process with film and TV and all of that kind of, how do you, how, where do you even begin? You know what I mean? Good question. Um, usually it begins with a script or with an outline, a storyline, or um, sometimes if the script isn't ready, then we have um, like a basic outline of the hopes and dreams for the production. Um, it's a collaborative thing. You know, there are so many people and parts involved and you really have to, there are different people who are head up different sections of it and those, you have to work really closely with those people to create a cohesive vision, you know, so that it's something that is, a thought is now come to life and is being shot and, and used and, and so really it starts with the story. Like, do you have a script or is it, what are you guys, what kind of a production are you doing? Yeah, so it's actually um, the fall play, the fall play okay. production. Yeah, so and and I think you know it's been really interesting following that sort of um, dynamic too, because you know we start with the script and you know you kind of read it and conceptualize everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know you know the logistics of really how it all unfolds because I've never had this experience before. Right. And I was so excited to speak with you um, and see how like different maybe you know one set maybe from another and how like is the process you know is there like a, a similar process that you kind of go through like a, of like a, a basis that you kind of work off of or yeah. you know if it's super tailored to the specifics of each individual one sometimes it can be as simple as a pencil drawing on a piece of paper that someone throws out there and everyone reacts to and jives with and they want to build on that or sometimes they're really intricate CAD drawings that have multiple views and then get turned out into floor plans and layouts and elevations and you know so there's the whole gamut you know and you can take the simplest idea and then build from that you know that you as a set designer, you can say, okay, I want this, you know, cave-like space. And then you talk to the director of photography or the lighting guys and, you, and they can say, well, yeah, let's put some shafts of light. And how, what's the logic of that? If it's underground, how does that work? Where's the light coming from? Is it moonlight? Is it daylight? Does that make sense? Or do we even have to explain that part of it? You know, so then the lighting people weigh in and it's like, well, if it's so dark, are we going to see their faces? And then how do we get the actors lit? And then... You know, it's all these things. It's the process. So you just need talented people with creative ideas who are not going to let their egos get in the way and everybody can sort of jam it out. And sometimes magic happens. Yeah.
Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, something too that you mentioned is just the whole collaborative process and really like trusting others that, you know, you're all going to work together to get the job done and really make it as successful as possible too. Because, you know, I think something that happens, uh, probably not as frequently as we think, but I mean, it, it does happen is where, you know, you, you collaborate with others and there's a time where, you know, you might be so excited with lighting or, you know, or just materiality or costumes and and that sort of respect. And, you know, maybe that's not exactly where your focus is, but you find yourself driven in that direction. So like, have you ever had that sort of um, situation where, you know, you were there to kind of drive the set design itself, but you found yourself really, really into, you know, the, the lighting aspect of it. And like, how did you kind of work to, to really get all of your ideas out there and collaborate? Um, I think that having done it for a while, I know what my role is and I know what I can push and um, I know how to creatively work within the boundaries of that and I know to trust the lighting guys and not to step on their toes. And if I have a lighting idea, or if I have, um, you know, something that I want to offer, I will show them like, look at this cool fixture, look at these really crazy light bulbs, will, will it work on camera? Or, you know, we kind of, there's only so much that I can push other departments, you know what I mean? Like, that's why you got to let the professionals do their job. And hopefully you guys get along. And it's different at a student level, I guess. Also, as professionals, we have years of projects to from you know like oh on that show we did this this worked and we tried that on that show and it didn't work or want to try that again but as a student you probably have someone who's heading up the team with you right like someone who's been around theater or production so you've got to rely on their technical input I guess to help steer you you know because there's a creative creativity without any reference or any sort of um what's the word experience you know, it's, it's kind of hard to harness it and bring it into a place where the product is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think something, too, uh, that you mentioned was, like, the time frame of everything. So you, you are working on these for such a long time. And mm-hmm. I wonder if because even, I think, there's a point in everybody's, you know, projects, whether it's, you know, on a school-based level or, you know, just... I guess maybe like going from like a school, maybe semester long long project and working more in the professional field where, you know, you're working on these projects for like years, you know what I mean, sometimes. So how do you kind of keep the momentum going and really spark your interest within it? Because I feel like a lot of students, you know, they they kind of get a little bit burnt out at, at a point, you know, and they kind of feel like they need to, you know, just completely take a step back from their project or work on something new and then come back to it? Like, what does that kind of look like within your professional? I think you have to love what you do, you know? You have to love it. Like, you have to love the adrenaline rush and you have to love the, all the planning and talking and then finally standing back and be like, oh my God, look what we did. You know, like that feeling is so cool. And then have it resonate with an audience, you know, and then have like fans reach out to you and ask about it and have it be recognized by like our most esteemed academies and awards like you that's really cool you know like exhausting and grueling and some days are relentless like on the show I'm on right now um what we do in the shadows we shoot at night so that means our call time is 5 p.m sometimes 
right? So like yeah. I'm on the shoe crew, but the shoe crew is shooting all night long. But I do get calls from a set at midnight saying, "Oh my God, the chair broke or whatever." <laughs> you know, you kind of have to love it. And if you don't love it, then it's gonna show in your work. That's the yeah. thing. Like, it's it's a tough business, and the hours are grueling, and it's physically demanding and mentally demanding. And if you don't love it, you're not gonna do well. Yeah, my yeah. perspective. You know, like it's just like anything else, right? You will succeed. You will have success if your heart is in it. Yeah. I absolutely agree 100%. And I think something that I wanted to kind of shift gears on is talking about the materiality aspect of it too. So, and maybe even the construction aspect of it, right? So thinking about like, if you, do you have like a specific um, technique or, you know, process that you go through um, when creating the sets themselves so say like once you have you know your concept then do you move into a certain like uh materiality aspect of it and then you go into and I, because I know we talked about you know leaving you know certain certain aspects of it to the professionals you know whether it's lighting whether it is materials and all that but do you kind of go through the entire process for yourself and kind of really like um, hone into different aspects just to get your mind wrapped around the full the full extent or do you kind of go back and forth with one another and really just interpret theirs and then react to what you know somebody else might be um, collaborating with and so when you say materiality you're talking about the actual substrates that we build the sets and dress them with yes so in film if we're building a set in studio usually it's just plywood and jacks on the back and you know windows and the materials are like everyday things that we use in construction it's just you know i can put a sconce on the wall just by poking a hole through the wall and hanging the sconce and the lighting guys come and wire it you know it's there's standard materials that we use um on every show there's a different look aesthetic so those that dictates what materials we use there. So on our show, what we do in the shadows, it's kind of, it's a vampire show. So we do a lot of heavy curtains and like peeling wallpapers. And, you know, there are like a million paint techniques that the scenic team use to like create crumbling walls. It looks like mold, but it's not, you know, so there's, there's a whole roster of, it's a palette that we basically come up with for the show that we repeat or use in different areas that, as needed, you know? And sometimes we go out into the real world and just shoot on location and that's part of the story too, where we just shoot what we see and, you know, embrace it. So every show is different, you know? There are standard materials that we use in production, but every episode, every show, every script, every production will have a different uh, established palette or um, materials that they pull from. Does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, I guess my, my next question or, you know, what I wanted to talk about next would be um, that idea of having, so, I, so for example, uh, I know you worked on the bold type, um, that show, and, you know, taking maybe that or even um, the one that you just talked about, and you say, okay, we just read the script, the script is, you know, we understand everything, the concepts, what we want to kind of achieve. Is mm -hmm. there a sort of basis to the to the set like is there do you sort of implement as you go or is there always like everything is always going to be as is but you're going to just rearrange and change 
as you go. Does that sort of make sense? I think it's ever evolving, you know, the, like for the bold type, I did the pilot. So we established the look for the show and then another team took over for the show. Um, we worked with production, like with the writer, the head writer who dreamt up the story. Her vision was pretty clear of how she wanted the offices to feel and how it, you know, what level of high end, how sexy it was supposed to be like, you know, so that was kind of established and we come in and just find what we can to, to fill that world out and within the budget, within the time frame, at the specific location. Um, it took us a while to get it right, but we got it and, you know, the pilot was shot. I don't think a lot of the stuff we shot in the pilot made it into the series or maybe it did. I think it did. Some of it did. Um, but like, that's why I say it comes from the concept, like the head the showrunner and the executive producers and the network too. Like that's an NBC show and they have a certain aesthetic. You wouldn't even, you wouldn't really think that, but when you start working within it, you sort of get to know what the NBC look is, you know, it's kind of slick, it's kind of girls in high heels and everybody's kind of sexy. And you know what I mean? Like it's, that's, they love that. So that's, that's sort of, that's how, how we get the information and the inspiration. And then we go from there and we pick colors and we, you know, pick a palette, like I say, and pick materials that are going to work. Like sometimes we want things that are reflective so we can see people in the background or sometimes we don't want things that are reflective so we want to block it off. You know, there's so many cues that we take. Like, yes, yeah. we have creative freedom, but a lot of the times it's very pinpointed for us, the direction that we are assumed to go in. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked a little bit about like the the cues, you know, so do you ever um, think about, you know, your set design as this is written in the script. So we have to create a space that allows for this specific moment, or is it more of just getting the conceptual space going and then having, you know, the characters have the freedom to walk around and interact in, in that way because I'm sure there's probably a part you know within the set and actually filming where you know things get changed and you know the maybe the script does or something happens where you know on paper it sounds really good and we love it but you know once we actually see the interactions and what's going mm -hmm. on with the set too uh that could be probably changed as well so how do you kind of take that idea and really you know work and negotiate with those sorts of changes often we like to create environments that are as full and real and in, as enclosed as possible so the actor really can get into character and feel like they are actually there and it's like you know not a, doesn't feel fake and then they have the freedom to ad lib and sort of roam around but usually everything's sort of shot listed and they know where they're supposed to go and they know what they're supposed to touch um but oftentimes, like on the show I'm on now, there's a lot of things like special effects. And it's like, okay, well, that is rigged to fall. So there has to be a winch on the other side of the wall. And that means that there's three guys standing there with like a pulley system. And they have to have another guy with a safety. And then there's another guy over there with a fire extinguisher. Because what if the candle catches on fire? Like everything is quite choreographed. You would be really surprised the, the depth of meetings we have about who's supposed to be where, how it's supposed to be done. And sometimes we have to get like fire safety. There's like real firemen there or police just to make sure that we're doing it right. Yeah, yeah. I can't like, even imagine, you know, just 
the full extent of everything because you know like you said everything has to be so planned out because you never know you know what's really going to happen once it it happens and yeah. um, even just like the 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 chain of events that go to produce the whole thing so oh. you know and you know you talked a little bit about you know budget within that and i'm really interested to see how that um plays a role with your decisions for materiality and you know color schemes and all of that and really just like how do you how do you take that into consideration but also try to to produce the best final product because i think something even in my experience now is there's kind of like a push and pull but sometimes you know the budget definitely takes over or you know vice versa how do you kind of go about that but it's a good question because budget is like a constant topic of um of uh it's something that we're always trying to work out you know like it comes down to having experience to know how bad it could go and you know how much something is actually going to cost once you've you know if you're reupholstering a whole set of furniture you know I don't know how much the fabric is going to cost how much the time for the seamstress is going to cost how much you know how much then we'll have to paint it and age it like how much time the painters are going to need like comes from experience knowing how to plan so just like if you were doing the interior decor of house or um putting together an architectural package or lighting plan or whatever you just need to really plan and you need to really understand how if you go off the rails and you have to sort of plan for that and you have to have i try to have a good relationship with the money people because i I don't want any surprises. I don't want my people bringing me invoices that I wasn't prepared for, and I don't want to bring invoices to anybody that they're not prepared for. Um, sometimes I'll create a budget for like a huge space we're gonna do, and they'll I'll submit it, and I'll be like biting my nails, being like, "Oh my god, I hope they approve it." And then they come back with like a million questions, and sometimes they just need to understand how I got to those numbers. So I try and make it as clear as possible, like this, this, and this, and this, and I'll you'd be surprised how fast it adds up. You know, and sometimes I have to really defend it. It's like, yes, I need the $10,000 wallpaper because that is going to make the space. You know what I mean? Or sometimes I'll say, okay, no, we don't need the expensive wallpaper because I know I'm going to need expensive something else. So you kind of, you know, and even on bigger, bigger shows where there are bigger budgets, you still hit that ceiling pretty quickly, you know? Yeah. So you kind of have to be realistic about how quickly you could go off the rails budget wise. And if you don't have the budget, then you have to get really crafty really fast. Yeah. And sometimes amazing things can happen when you don't have money because you can't just go and figure it out just by spending. Sometimes having the money is almost worse because you have no excuse, like just go and buy it then, you know, you've got the money, you know? So, but like I've done some pretty incredible things with no money and yeah. create around you just have a few little resources and some talented people kind of amazing what you can pull off yeah yeah, yeah. well even like you said you know if just having the money you know it kind of gives you that excuse to say well why would i experiment or why would i kind of look into how a material can be you know deformed or changed or manipulated in certain ways right. rather than just like buying it that way itself and yeah, yeah. It, that that sort of thing definitely it can get costly because you're not only asking for the product at that point, you're also asking for somebody else to manipulate it, which right. also costs money. And it I, just, yeah. like I mean, you said, it just keeps going and, and it definitely adds up quickly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk more about how you got into your uh, fabrication of hardware, because I feel like, you know, what was that transition like? What did it look like? Um, You know, were you doing it both? Was there an overlap? Were you really into set design? Both right now. Um, I, I think I was always intrigued with the casting process. So casting bronze, I don't know why it just really appealed to me. You know, it's like a really, it's a crude, archaic, ancient process done. And we do it the same way that it's been done for thousands of years, just in sand molds, right? Something about that was just really cool to me. And I was actually looking for hardware and I couldn't find anything that I really liked for a specific application. It kind of just stuck with me and I was like, well, I can make that. So I did an experiment. I made some molds and I found a foundry to work with locally and I cast it and was like oh my god I love this if I love it so much other people are going to find it awesome too and they they have and I'm you know happy to say that I ship all over the planet yeah yeah and how do you what do you what materials do you work with specifically and how do you kind of uh, manipulate them with you know your the tools that you use um how you fabricate them can you talk a little bit about the actual process to make yeah for sure so every idea has started with a sketch i just a little sketchbook and i was like okay i want to make you know a series like here's um i've got a handle right here um one one of my series that has done really well is the pyra series sorry i've got it all all wrapped up um and this was a i don't know if you see that yeah. So this this shape was sort of inspired by um, like ancient pyramids, like the uh, step architecture, just kind of that really sort of simple but um, bold kind of shapes. And that's kind of what my wares have become. They're all very clean line and simple, but there's something bold about them. So everything started with a sketch. I was on an airplane coming home from vacation, and this this shape just sort of came to me, and I, and I just drew it, and then. Um, then I worked with uh, a mold maker who helped me make the molds for the, um, actually I did some computer renderings of it myself, uh, sort of crudely came up with the shape. Um, and then I had a tool maker, uh, um, had a mold maker make the mold for me. And then I took it to a foundry and I don't actually pour the bronze myself, but they do it there into my molds. And then I take the hardware and I have it finished from there. Yeah. yeah. So it goes it's through. Such an, yeah, it's such an interesting process, like to me, because yeah. I've never. I think. I think a lot of the times people, you know, whether they're in design or they're just, they don't have any affiliation with that with that field, um, mm-hmm. and they they really don't take into consideration how hardware can really change the look or the aesthetic or the feel of the the items that they want. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the times people subconsciously kind of maybe acknowledge that where they they look at you know a desk or a drawer or something and they say Mm -hmm. i like it but it's not quite right and they but they just don't ask themselves like why isn't it right yeah well exactly i mean yeah you can transform something with something as simple as a bronze handle right but it's also about interacting with something that is beautiful to touch for me that's a big part of it is very tactile and the the bronze is just like I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> it's just nice, you know, it's heavy, it's solid, it's soft, it's textured, it's 
it's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And so for me, it's about that. It's also about day on the daily basis. How many times a day do you touch your kitchen cabinets or your drawers or your things, you know, and, and um, it can have an impact on your day. Yeah. You know, for me, I mean, I mean, it sounds silly, but it's, I like beautiful things, you know, I like beautiful materials. I love cashmere. I love bronze. I want to touch the things that are, that feel good in my hand, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what definitely connects people with the items that are in their homes. You know what I mean? So just like you said, you you are constantly touching your cabinets every day. You have to eat. So you have to get the plates or the dishware that yeah. are from them. And, you know, I think people don't necessarily consider how that will affect them, um, specifically materiality. So like you said, the softness of the metal, how does that affect, you know, their overall feel for the day you know so it's it's just like a space if you're in a space that makes you feel you know uncomfortable or you know it's just those are those are then the finer details which i completely agree which they make or break a design because you know it's it's all about the the total process of it and every single thing that goes into it is so important but i think a lot of the time people don't consider that um and they kind of just they overlook it most of the yeah, time. Yeah, some people do, and some people totally get it, and they're willing to, you know, spend a little more for something that has some soul and has a story, and you know, is a bit of a throwback to a different time, which this the my hardware kind of is, you know. So some people get it, and some people don't, and the people who don't, that's cool too. You know, they do their own thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not for everybody. <laughs> Yeah. So where are you looking to take your hardware? Is it something that you really want to implement more so within, you know, set design and, and that realm that you work with as well? Or do you, are, is there something that, you know, you really want to invest more time into? For me, the, the TV work and the hardware are two separate things are like two different babies that I have. And I, both of them demand a lot of me and I'm able to do that. So and with COVID, it's been weird. I, I have people who help me in the hardware, but I was going to bring in a full-time person to help me. And I just didn't do that because it's still, I still house the stuff and work from my house. So it's just weird. I haven't really done that, but business has picked up more since COVID because people are just renovating like mad right now. So I'm, sun, I'm shipping more hardware than I thought I would be. And the business is growing. I do want to continue growing. I want to add to the offerings and have various, right now I have four series, four lines of wares. I want more. I want to be able to offer more and different options and different sizes and different things. And I have other products I want to create outside of hardware. Um, so I just want to continue the growth. You know what? I, I want, would love to see where it can take off too. If I spent more time and energy on it, I think it could really be a large company one day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something can, that can definitely come full circle. You know what I mean? Because you have such a big array of space through set design and all of that. But, you know, 
taking it from such a, a broad context and, and then working down to the finer details. I think it really just makes everything come together so nicely. And I think that's why your work is so su successful and exciting is because you completely understand, you know, from the big picture down to the, the little techniques and why can, you know, this little, like, quote unquote, little thing make or break, a, you know, the space or really add to the aesthetic or whatever you're trying to, to achieve. Oh, for so sure. I'm just really excited and I, I cannot wait to see what else you produce because oh. I'm so excited. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. yeah, I love the hardware. I'll keep growing it and making stuff and yeah, hopefully it resonates with people. Yeah. Is there, what other products do you think you might consider uh, creating? Like, would you ever dabble more into like furniture or anything oh. a little bit larger in that scale? I think probably not just because going right now like you know I deal with things that are this big you know there's a knob I mean I've got a million of them over there but um, I still need to keep things small physically because going big means bigger production bigger space bigger warehouse bigger 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 and that's kind of not where I'm at I would love more volume of the small things um, more hardware like I say I'm sort of branching out into like things like hooks and maybe maybe some like serving plates and stuff like that, like platters or things related to, you know, adding texture to a space and adding a little bit of that old world um, soul. But so I don't think about, I don't think about furniture. Although, although uh, I do love um, upholstering things and my biggest secret, you don't know, hear the big secret for your film, for your production. Sometimes if you can't afford the fabric and you can't afford to hire a seamstress, just paint it. You would not believe what you can get away with with paint on fabric. If you see a couch and it's pink and you want it to be blue, just paint it. Wow, yeah. Latex or, or whatever paint, like trust me, I've done, you would, you would believe the stuff we've done with just paint. Yeah, that's very surprising to hear, but also something, I feel like that's one of those things where you, you definitely can think about doing something like that, but you know, it just seems like, you know, you just don't think of it right off the bat. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Such, and and that's the interesting thing about it, right? The like the whole context of what we were talking about is like doing things and manipulating materials and fabrics to see how they are. Because you know, yeah. the next question was gonna was gonna be like, how do you how important do you think tactile working is? Which I definitely probably already know the answer because for me, it's huge. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just that person. I'm that person that needs to see a fabric. I can't look at a photo and approve something that way. I need to touch it. I need to see how it reacts in the light. And and in my home environment, everything is quite tactile. Like I'm, I like texture. I think texture creates like a, a vibe or a soul or, you know what I mean? Like I go in, sometimes I go into very sterile or really modern, uber modern environments and I don't react well to them because for me, that's not enough to um to bounce off of you know you need to sort of interact with things even if you're not touching it you can get a sense for a material from a distance and and for me i get drawn in where there's patina and texture and etching and you know like just have the variance in in reaction to light or to shadow or you know all of those things so for me it's huge yeah absolutely it's it's sort of just taking consideration of all the stimulation that you're going to receive. So it's not just touch. Like, I mean, that might be one of the largest ones, but mm -hmm. I think people don't realize how 
you know, visual sensory of looking at a wallpaper and saying like, okay, well, if, it, if I can visualize the fact that, you know, there's, you know, different pieces or materials that make up that fabric, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just, it changes their whole like outlook on a space and, and oh, really yeah. it connects them with it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's not just looking at, you know, like you said, like a modernized space that's totally flat and colorless and, you know, yeah. has like a, an overall aesthetic, but it, it just doesn't have that personal connection to it. Yeah. And everybody's different, right? That doesn't mean it's the right way to do things. It's just right. who I am. That's what I react to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So was there anything, you know, growing up within design and the arts that you like can look back on now and say, you know, I wish I knew that back then to kind of, you know, help myself now? Hmm. Um, I think if anything, um, when I was in, when I was a student, I was kind of rushing through the student thing. Like I just wanted to get out into the world, make money and, you know, I felt like the the school part of it was kind of a formality that I could just breathe through and like, but looking back now that as a person who's been in the work field for a while, I would give anything to be in a learning environment again and just be able to take the time and to like dive into something and like really get to know that part of myself or just learn. Like, I, you know, I think I would have, I would have enjoyed the, the school part more. Yeah early on in the design world that I was part of yeah yeah I think I think that's definitely something that's so relevant today you know students are just so concerned with getting out into the profession that they take they take advantage of certain you know applications and you know abilities at school like for example digital fabrication is something that I know once I leave school I probably won't has have that much access to the world unless I purchase pay for it yeah 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 Yeah. so exactly and I think that's something you know to consider too and I'm also intrigued to know if if you've ever dabbled within any sort of like 3d fabrication or um digital fabrication uh Mm -hmm. through cnc printer uh cnc routers laser cutters Mm -hmm. 3d printers and how does that kind of change the game yeah sometimes uh some of my ideas i 3d print before i make them into like the real proper molds or take a 3d print and have it um replicated and then made it made into a bigger mold so you can see the object in real space you know and then you can like oh yeah no it should be an inch thinner or an inch taller or i don't like that or you know so it's pretty for sure it's like taking an idea and making it three-dimensional it's kind of super cool yeah yeah and it's so necessary to do that right because like you said you don't realize you know how looking at it in your hands can really you know affect that process because I mean it's easy to look at it on the computer or you know look at it in a sketch and be like yes that's amazing that's exactly what we want but once until it's actually built it it totally changes although I think there's something to be said for being able to build stuff with your hands too and like connecting to the design and the shapes that way but not everybody's like that I'm like that I I studied ceramics in art college so it was like like again I'm very tactile I like want to get my hands in there and play with it you know so that's, but that's just a personal thing. So sometimes no. I'll start whittling something or I'll be like, get some Sculpey and just play with it and see what I can do. Or like um, the other day I got some two-part moldable epoxy and I was 
sculpting it like as it was drying i'm like oh no it's drying just to see what i could do and then maybe i could sand it and then maybe it would take a texture really easily like i don't know i was just playing i think i think that's important too cd3 and all that stuff is valid but sometimes you just got to get in there you know yeah no absolutely it's so important and and that just speaks volumes to like actually like you said actually acknowledging the process that it takes to make it because it it even kind of connects the the idea that we were talking about earlier about how you know you like for example like with a budget you know it's easy to tell somebody well no we 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 can get rid of that because it's not necessary or something. It kind of goes along the the lines of, you know, something to that extent where it's like, you know, it, it's very easy for people to say, this is my design. Now here, you're, this is your job. Now you go and make it. But until you build it yourself, like you don't know, like the, the hard work and dedication it is to actually make that. And like, you know, there's times too, where you might receive a, a a project from somebody else and that you have to kind of build and you have to tell them, you know, like this isn't actually realistic or, you know, it doesn't work like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or or it's not replicatable or you can't. Yeah, exactly. It's good to know processes and materials so you can speak to those things. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So is there anything else today that you want to talk about, um, whether in set design or, you know, even the schooling aspect of it um, or through hardware? Because I know there's, um, so I guess one last question that I might have is how do you kind of advocate for, you know, set design and other fields within architecture and design itself? Because I think like we talked about today is there's a lot of, you know, mainstream thinking of I'm going to go to school for architecture or I'm going to go to school for interior design or whatnot. And, you know, I'm going to come out as that. I don't think a lot of students realize how many avenues and options there are for them that, you know, just an example like you, you going to school for, you know, whatever your heart desires, then coming out and saying, you know, I might want to change my mind or I might, you know, I might have gone to school for architecture, but I actually want to do this. You know, how do they kind of... I think you got to keep an open mind and just follow the things that make you happy. You know, so you might go to school for a certain position and then you start doing it and you hate it. You know, just keep an open mind and be flexible because you don't, you never know where one avenue or one where one person or where one opportunity is going to take you. You know, I never knew I'd be a set decorator, a set designer, production designer. I didn't know that. I didn't set out to do that. It just, you know, 30 years later, it kind of happened, <laughs> you know, so keep it open mind and just follow, follow the joy. It's kind yeah. of a cliche, but it's true. You know, follow the things that give you satisfaction and you feel are cool and and usually if you love it, then you will probably be good at it. And then people will see that and hire you for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And where can our viewers reach you and your work, whether so, it's through social media or online? Yeah. So um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, although I haven't been much lately, but you can find me at Shane Fox Hardware. That's for the hardware business. Um, and you can check out the hardware there. And I have a website for my film work. It's Shane Fox Design, ShaneFoxDesign.com. And there's at Shane Fox on Instagram. So you can find me there. And then websites and all those things. It's just be linkable. 
you know. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for no meeting with us and speaking with us today at a, a student's perspective. I had such a great conversation and I really think this gives such insight into the field of works that you do. Yeah, so, cool. Um, well, thank, thank you. you for having me and I can't wait to uh, watch the playback and see how dorky I am. Yeah. <laughs> thank you everyone at home for watching. Uh, this was another episode of A Student's Perspective. Find us next week as the conversation continues. We hope you liked this discussion with the design industry from a student's perspective. Please like, share, and comment, and stay tuned for more inspiring conversations to come.